So what do we want to talk about today? That is a great question, Chris. I would like to hear about your um, Android and Kotlin and Java experience. Yeah, we got to do that for sure. Uh, want to talk about that? Let's do it. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Fatal Error. I'm Chris. And I'm Sarush. So today we were going to talk about Android. Uh, Sarush, I know that you've been doing some Android dev. Uh, you've mentioned that on, on some of our, our calls recently. And so I want to hear about what you what are you doing with Android and uh, what's it like? Um, I haven't written any Android code since probably 2011, so I, I assume it's changed a little bit since then. Uh, I couldn't speak to how it's changed, um, but I will tell you what my experience is. Um, basically, I have a client, uh, and we've talked about this client before. Um, a lot of their users are based in the Middle East and North Africa. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the reason this came up before was we were talking about how their uh, internet connections aren't as good as ours, and including the Swift runtime um, with the app was basically a non-starter. And so um, what we did was we ended up writing the app in Objective-C so that we wouldn't have to pay that cost. Uh, now, of course, that works for all the people who have iPhones, which there are a lot of people who have iPhones in that region, but w- more people have Android phones. And so we knew yeah. we needed an Android phone at some point. And um, once we kind of had done the proof of concept of the iOS app, we were like, all right, we got to do this Android app. And uh, I really didn't know how we were going to do it just because um, – I didn't know how to do Android. Basically, all I knew about Android was activities or like view controllers. Um, <laughs> Something, yeah. Something which like turns that. out is not quite right. Yeah, there are some, it may be interesting for us to like compare and contrast some of these things between Android and iOS, but like activities have their own, like their own life cycle uh, and, and the application life cycle is less. Um, Concrete. Uh, what, what's the right word? Yeah, it's less concrete than it is on iOS, and you you have these activities that really have their life cycles that really make up the like the the application. Yeah, exactly. So I basically like probably spent maybe two weeks just trying to get a tab bar on the screen. Um, it was okay. a lot of it was a lot of work, uh, and so. They don't really have an Android world. So one of the first places I started was the sort of Objective-C IO article on, it's called Android 101 for iOS developers. We'll put that in the show notes. And I figured this would be perfect, right? This is exactly what I need to know to get started. And it was completely inscrutable. Really? Um, I read it. I read it again. I read it a third time. And I did not get almost anything out of it. I mean, so this, uh, let's see, so they did a whole issue on Android. This was back in April of 2014, according to this page. Mm-hmm. Do you think that this um, is outdated by now, or will it, what did you find inscrutable about it? I think part of it is that it's outdated, and part of it is just that it doesn't really do that good of a job explaining what, what you're working with. One of the big things is activities versus fragments and i feel like i didn't understand at all when i would use either one that's something that i have wondered as well so uh, it might be helpful for us to cover like what act what activities are they're they're kind of like they're basically like a screen that appears uh a screen of the application that appears on screen and yeah. unlike ios where like you launch an application and then the application like is responsible for navigating to whatever screen you need to go to or like displaying a home screen where the user can navigate it's possible on android to like launch a specific activity of an application 
and and so you can launch like into different points in the application and so in that way the like application life cycle is sort of split among a bunch of activities which are um maybe more more independent than than view controllers on iOS if that if that makes any sense yeah i think that's basically a good way of thinking about it the other important thing is you can only ever have one activity on screen at any given time so i kind of like to think of the activities as each little mini apps and so because of that, it actually made sense to put our entire app into one activity, which okay. is crazy. Yeah. So once I started to figure this stuff out, I realized, A, there's no tab bar controller on in Android. There is a control that you can use at the bottom of the screen that functions like a tab bar, but you don't get that automatic switching. You have to write all that stuff yourself. And then there's also no concept of a like UI navigation controller where you would say, Okay, I want to look at this screen, and then when the user taps this, like I want them to look at the next screen. Uh, just to back up for a second, you, we we talked about activities, uh, and you mentioned fragments, but you, we didn't we didn't talk about what those are. Right. So I'm getting there. So okay, okay. basically, Continue. yeah. So so the way that like if you think about it, like iOS world, is you would say, okay, well, every screen in my app is going to be its own activity, and then when I click or when the user does something. I will change the activity. And that works to a certain degree, but you can't change just part of the screen the way you would with like a UI tab bar controller. So with tab bar controller, you have one kind of parent view controller that's a tab bar controller, and then it has sub little child view controllers that switch around. Um, they don't have that, and you can't do that with an activity. So you end up having to do this really hacky thing where you say, when you switch activities, keep these views on screen in the same place. And so you can kind of fake it. Wait, so, so these are like, so fragments are like views that can be shared between activities somehow? Yes. So yeah, so that brings us to fragments. So if you don't want to do that weird trick where you like tell the activity to change, but you don't want to change the whole screen you want, and like you want to keep the tab bar there, and you, you're basically saying, okay, keep this tab bar here, but then underneath it, change the activity. If you don't want to do that, then you have to use something called fragments. And so a fragment is basically, oh, okay. it's like, the best way to think about it is like, it's a child view controller only. Like it still has to be hosted within an activity, which is like a parent view controller. And it has access to data in the same way that a view controller does. And then it has views, like a view is its own thing. And it, it has its own life cycle too, right? It again has its own life cycle, which is actually mm-hmm. even worse than the activity life cycle. <laughs> so the, the, a lot of the reason people don't like to use fragments is because their um, life cycle is really bad. What do you mean by really bad? So like, I, I haven't run into this yet, so I don't really understand what people's problem is, but basically like my understanding is that as you get to a more and more complex app, you start to run into um, you start to run into the limitations of the, the fragment life cycle, basically. Hmm. Yeah, there's a there's a a library from Lyft called Scoop, and it's the idea is like it's scoops of ice cream that you stack on top of each other. I don't know it's very very cutesy, and Scoop is designed to basically replace fragments because they hit this point where they're. Um, their fragments were too were getting too complicated, and their um, they were kind of hitting hitting up against the limit of what fragments could do. And then, so they like basically made this whole almost UI framework um, around it. Huh. 
Yeah. Wait, so this so this replaces fragments or it um Yeah, it completely replaces fragments, the scoop. Oh thing. yeah. I, I don't use this, but um Oh whoa, so this this Okay, so you're not using this, but th- this library provides some sort of router. It says view controllers, layouts. Oh, I want to talk about layout and lay- like view layout on Android yeah, we, as well. We definitely will get there for sure. That's okay. a super interesting part. Okay, but so fragments are sort of like uh, reusable, at least in theory, reusable sort of child view controllers that have their own life cycle. Right, and if you want to ever have an iPad style layout, like on a tablet where you have two activities next to each other, because that you can only have one activity on screen at a time, you have to use fragments. So okay. fragments are also kind of more future-proof in that way. Okay. So yeah. there are these, like, building blocks. And and I misunderstood earlier when I thought you were saying that they could be shared between, like, passed between activities. But you're saying that you might have one activity and fake, like, a transition between uh, different things by, by changing between fragments within one activity. Yeah. So that's what I did end up doing. I basically have one activity. It's my whole app. And that okay. activity behaves both as a coordinator and as a tab bar controller. And so what it does is it has a method where, depending on which tab you tap, it'll say, okay, based on this tab, um, switch and figure out what fragment to build, and then animate to that fragment. And then if you tap on something within that fragment, you are the delegate of that fragment as well. And so it behaves like a coordinator. So you'll say, okay, well, I tapped an image in this fragment. Okay, you figure out what the next thing to do is. And in this case, it's slide on a thing, kind of like a navigation controller push. And that code is also all in the fragment. That That makes sense, I think. How complex is this app? I would say less than 10 screens. Okay, so like yeah, that's not trivial, not but it's not super complicated, a, right? Yeah, yeah it, it's not a joke app, but it's also not like you know. I'm sure Left's app is fifty thousand lines of Kotlin or whatever. Yeah. Oh, right. We have to talk about Kotlin. That's right. We yeah. That's definitely okay. a fun part of it as well. So maybe that, what what are your sort of overall impressions of um, uh, I don't know the sort of activity and fragment application lifecycle, and then uh, I, I mean I want to hear about Kotlin. I want to hear about tooling in general. Want to talk about view layout. Yeah, so I have a ton of thoughts. Um, just real quick before we move on, the kind of like combination tab bar controller slash um, mm. coordinator thing is 114 lines of code. So not super complicated. Yeah, that's not bad. Not bad. Even though it does have this role of like controlling everything that's on screen and like which what happens when different buttons get tapped. All told, it's still, you know, 115 lines of code. Not too bad. I feel like that would probably be more code in iOS, even with Swift, just because of the frameworks. I would guess that that's right, yes. Yeah, I agree with that. Just, you know, not because Swift is more verbose, but just because achieving that with the with the building blocks that we have. Yeah. Huh. Um, okay. Yeah. So that's, yeah, so that, that I'll just basically leave that there. Okay, so what do I think? I think basically the um, ecosystem that you work in is just worse than iOS. Things are more fragmented. Haha, <laughs> fragmented. Well, Sorry. there you go. No. <laughs> there you go. Um, yeah, things are more fragmented. It's not clear how to do stuff. Um, if you look at the popular apps on the platform, all of them do things in a different way. So there's this like back button, right? And then you have like a back oh, stack. Yeah. And so you can yeah. tell things to like be added to the back stack. But then like if you look at an app like Instagram, your um it has a back button at the top left just like ios but then also the back button does the same behavior 
Yeah, this is my recollection from coding on Android and from using Android for for about a summer back when I was like learning to to program for it was that it was always like it was never clear what the back button was going to do. It varied depending on what application I was using. As a programmer, like it it um I wasn't sure what was supposed to go on the back stack and and yeah. some applications have their own like sort of back infrastructure and it was just really confusing. I agree with that. It's kind of like the escape button when you're using a computer um, with a keyboard. When you hit it, you don't always know what it's going to do, but you have a safe feeling that it's going to like cancel whatever you're looking at or like stop whatever you're doing or like get out hmm. of wherever you are. It's not super concrete what it does, but it is always there. All right. I guess that makes sense. Yeah. I, I didn't. I don't particularly use it when I am like testing my app i don't use android on a day-to-day basis but like when i'm testing my app i don't really use it um but it is there to kind of like get you out of situations okay are are you testing this app on an actual uh hardware or using the android emulator i am i have a i bought a really cheap um android phone i bought the alcatel a30 um and it is a hundred dollars no contract which is unbelievably cheap and what then do you I, get for $100? Uh, yeah, I mean, you get a phone. You get 16 gigabytes, 5 megapixel selfie camera, 5-inch um, display. Uh, I'm just reading off Amazon at this point. Um, but yeah, <laughs> 2 gigs of RAM. I mean, like, you get a real phone. That's really impressive. Yeah. I mean, and it, you know, it is slow, and it does drop frames and, like, whatever, but it's yeah. a phone. And it, and it has access to the Google Play Store. It's not like a like a fake Android phone where they just, like, don't give you access to the Google stuff. It has Google Assistant, it has Gmail, it has all that stuff. Huh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. And then there's also a version that you can get that has uh, ads or whatever. And it's like even cheaper than that, but I got the no ads because I don't need to look at ads. That's probably the right call. Yeah. Um, So yeah, so I have that. And then I think if I keep working, I'll probably get like a Pixel 2 or a Pixel 1 even um, as like, you know, my my full-time Android phone. But there's also, you know, you also have to remember that the people that are going to be using your apps are not going to have the latest and greatest, like, four gigabytes of RAM and all the crazy yeah. camera and stuff. Oh, absolutely. The camera on this thing is so bad. It's comical. <laughs> like, in my room with the light on, which is not, like, dim by any means, but it's also not, like, you know, bright sunlight. It just, like, things are just dark. It's just dark. It's really, really huh. comical. And like you compare it to like any generation, like in the last five years of iPhone, like they have pretty good low light performance. And like this thing just can't. Huh. Yeah. Well, it's $100. Yeah. How can you complain, you know? Yeah. Man. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. So I got the Alcatel. I started programming. And it's also, it's a, um, it's a, camera app basically so i like needed to test on hardware and they actually do some cute tricks when they are um when you're kind of doing the camera in the emulator like they'll kind of set up like a moving checkerboard grid so mm-hmm. that's like the camera image and then when you click capture it'll capture that image and so you can actually okay. test it in the sim- emulator but like uh it's just better to have a device so i got a device and and so I started programming, and I had no idea, like, what goes in the activity, what goes in the fragment, like, how do I break down data, how do I communicate between fragments? Oh, yeah. How how do you do that? Well, so, yeah, so I started in Java. I was like, I'm not going to learn Kotlin yet. This is too much to learn all at once. Let me just start with the simple thing, because I know a little bit of Java. Let's, like, get this off the ground. Pretty much the only communication pattern in Java is, like, 
message sending. There's no blocks. There's no notification center. There's no, or as far as I know, there might be like a notification, but I don't think there is. There's none of that stuff. And so the way you do stuff is you basically do this thing where it's like an inline subclass. Have you ever seen this pattern? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's like yeah. a big-time Java thing. So basically what you do is is something expects like a listener, right, like an on-click listener. And so the listener, mm-hmm. the type that it expects is an interface, which is like a protocol in Objective-C or uh, Swift World, and has one method that's like on-click, and it'll pass you whatever. And so what you do is you basically write some code that in line creates a class that conforms to this interface or protocol and overrides that one method, and then you can do your behavior in there. Which is, as you can imagine, totally horrible. And that's yeah, like the that's main. Funky. Yeah, that's like the main. So, like right now, I'm looking at some code. Like, so the bottom navigation view, which is what they call UI tab bar, uh, it has an on navigation item selected listener, and that gives you the item from which you can get the item ID, and then like kind of do your thing from there. Now, if you're working within an ID, especially, there are like shortcuts for for auto completing most of this sort of boilerplate code. And um, I think in newer versions of Java, actually, they have, uh, like, much more concise ways to do this. But um, as I recall, like, Android doesn't support those, like, newer Java language features just yet. I think that's right. So there's Java 8, and Java 8 has real blocks, which is, you know, huge, huge step up. But I don't know. I I didn't really look into running Java 8 just because um, nobody really talked about it. So I was like, maybe this is just impossible. And also I knew I wanted to move to Kotlin at some point. Okay, that makes sense, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I'm basically like like dragging myself through broken glass, like trying to make this Java stuff work. Because, okay, so remember in Java, you can't extend any classes. You can't make extensions or, or, mm-hmm. or categories, uh, which means anytime you want to add a helper function to, like, let's say a file, uh, a file object, you have to like make a file utils class and then add a static method. It's horrible. So there's Ugh. that stuff. There's all this like crazy like inline subclassing protocol conformance thing, which is like its own mess. And I'm also learning Android at the same time, and it's just like it's like not really working. So I was like, let me just take a day and see what I can do with Kotlin. And it's way better, first of all. Uh like just off the bat, like I started screaming once I was writing. Uh, Kotlin code like it was way faster (laughs) I was just like it was like awesome but there's a bunch of other crazy stuff around it so like for example you can like right click on a Java file and say convert this to Kotlin for me and it just does whoa yeah and it's not perfect like it, it messes up some of the optional stuff it messes up some of the you know some of the little things and then some of the patterns are not quite as elegant as you would maybe want them to be, but it works. It's Kotlin, and it like basically gets you 98% there. And then you kind of scan through the class, make sure everything makes sense, and then you can like kind of test it, like compile it, test it, and commit it, which is like pretty good. Yeah, that's awesome. So that that feature comes from like JetBrains, and it's built into the like Android Studio, which is a, just a JetBrains IDE, right? Yes, yes, it's free. Um, I think Google, I, I don't really understand the relationship, but it is free. And I think Google like is the one who like maintains it, but yeah. it is built on top of the back of like basically Eclipse. Those, uh, wait, is it, I think it's no longer Eclipse, but it's built on like, um, because Android Studio used to be like just an Eclipse plugin basically back, back, back like when I was, was working with Android. I think a while ago it changed to be based on like IntelliJ IDEA. 
And oh, like the, the IntelliJ. Um, I thought IntelliJ and Eclipse were the same thing. Oh, no, they're definitely different. Okay, that's my bad. Yeah, it's based on the JetBrains stack, which is like yeah. app code if you're you know, coming at this from an iOS perspective. Oh, I thought Eclipse, like this was based on Eclipse. No, it used to be. JetBrains JetBrain stuff is way better than Eclipse. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah, I, I can agree to that. Um, I thought yeah. it had just gotten better, but it's a different thing, and it is definitely better. So, yeah, so there's there's other stuff, too. So, like, if you paste code that's Java, let's say you, you got some code from Stack Overflow because you're a really good developer, uh, like me, you can paste it in line, and it will translate it to Kotlin for you. That is wild. It is so cool. Huh. If you have some code where it's like a uh, you like create an array, loop over some other array, test some condition based on that value, and then conditionally append it to that array, it'll prompt you to change that to a filter in Kotlin. Wow, that yeah, uh, it's that really good. It'll prompt really you impressive. for maps. It'll prompt you for um, if you have like. Like so, then they have like you could like map something and then do filter not null. So to to remove basically flat map mm-hmm. slash yeah. we're changing that in Swift slash yeah. What are we changing it to? Compact map. That one, yeah, yeah. Uh, but it basically you have a map and then a filter not nulls. It'll prompt you to change that to a map not null. Huh. Okay. Like, cool. It prompts you to do this stuff, and it's so cool. If there's a variable that's um, like could be private because it's not being used anywhere, it'll prompt you to make it private. If um, it's got so many little things that just like it's just like constantly popping up these little light bulbs of like, hey, you could try this. Hey, you could do this. I um, think I think the JetBrains awesome. guys have or the JetBrains folks have a reputation for being like for for being on the ball with stuff like that and sort of attention to detail and providing really in depth like language um, I don't know analysis and refactoring tools. Yeah, it's it's very impressive. It works pretty well. Um, I'm pretty into it. So that's the experience of like using the, some of the tooling around Kotlin. What what's your experience been like with the language itself? So the language itself is fine. It's like, to me, it seems to make compromises in order to work on the JVM, which are compromises that I'm happy to make because it means that I can use this in Android. But if I didn't have to make those compromises, I wouldn't want to. Yeah. So let me give you some examples of this. Yeah, please Um, do. So what are some good ones? Um, one cool thing is like so we mentioned like that, that like inline subclassing protocol conformance thing like this on click listener type of thing. One of the cool things is if you just use a block, Colin will just kind of promote that to one of these inline subclasses. Okay, that that's makes pretty sense. Cool. That's pretty useful, but yeah. like it has to do that because it has to work on the JVM, right? Yeah, um, yeah. Or or you don't. There's no there's no concept of a value type or a struct. Because you can't represent that in the JVM. This is my mm-hmm. understanding. Email me if I'm wrong. But you can't really represent a struct of the, on the JVM, and so it's represented as a class. And then so they give you something called data class, which if you use a data class, it basically gives you a bunch of methods for free. So it'll implement um, or derive a hash value for you. It'll derive equatable um, conformance. It'll derive a description. It'll derive all this stuff for you based on the properties of the thing. And all you have to do is basically type the word data before your class. And that's like pretty cool. Um, but it's ultimately not a value type, like at the end of the day. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. I think, I feel like at least the first one of those uh, turning blocks into these uh, like 
boilerplate classes that implement one interface. Mm-hmm. That may have more to do with just needing to interop with Android uh, libraries than yeah, running on the, the right. JVM. Yeah. Um, okay, so so what were some of your other examples? So another big one is you, uh, you can't have structs. You also can't really have enums. Those aren't value types. And so oh. the way that that works is they have something called a sealed class. And what it is is basically imagine you define a class and then inside the body of the class, you can subclass it, but nowhere else. Weird. Okay. Yeah. So basically, I, I rewrote my promise library uh, in Kotlin, obviously, <laughs> um, which could probably be its own episode. But what I end up doing is you basically say sealed class state generic over T. And so that defines your sort of type, your like broader type, or your in this case, your superclass. And then inside, I have several subclasses of that. And that's the only place that you're allowed to subclass the thing. And then the really interesting part of that is you can add specific data to those subclasses, right? Okay, um, And yeah. that's kind of like an enum with associated values. But then you can also add specific functions just to, to only those. specific cases. Interesting. Exactly. And then because those cases are actually fully blown types, you can actually cast it. So you can say like, okay, I'm going to make a function that expects only state dot fulfilled right and yep. then state.fulfilled might have a function on it so then your function basically accepts one of these state.fulfilled because state.fulfilled is just another class it's another type so then when you do your switch statement once you're in the block where it like knows that it's a state.fulfilled you can pass it to that function and then that function doesn't need to like switch on the enum again because it knows that it's that case of that enum okay that sounds really cool actually yeah it's kind of nice yeah the yeah, yeah, that that would be really nice. So it's pretty cool. So you can add your own data and your own functions to mm-hmm. your sort of enum cases, which is wild. Or you can also add the same function to all of them, and then you like c- can call it on on all of them in the yeah. same way you would with Swift. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, I comparing this to Swift briefly. There have been a couple uh, enum related pose- proposals on Swift Evolution recently, which we should discuss in in yeah, an we got to talk about that here. for sure. That that's been on the list for a few weeks now. We we should get to that. Yeah. Um, I would also note, like, there are some things in Swift which are a little bit, um, maybe a little bit ugly or a little bit workaround specifically because of like interrupt with Objective C and with like uh, the existing Cocoa Objective C APIs, like. Yeah, like the add Objective C protocols, like you yeah, know, subclassing from NS objects, other weird stuff you can do. Yeah, I wonder if that. Um, I mean, so I guess all I'm saying is we we can't hold that against Kotlin too much, right? Yeah, glass houses and all that. That's right. Um, yeah, but you know, for the most part, the language is actually a real pleasure to use, um, especially compared to Java. Um, but basically, you know, the the Kotlin people are not afraid of giving their users or their consumers of that language things that are nice in in the worry that they might have to, like, take them away at some point. Like, you know, Swift is very mm-hmm. conservative about adding stuff, right? Like, if you want a function that just operates on sequences of optional values and removes all the nils, like, they just didn't give us that until... Swift 2 gave us flat map, but then still you had to write flat map like dollar sign zero. Yeah. Like they never just gave us what um, Kotlin calls filter not null. And I don't really have a great answer for why Swift doesn't give us some of that stuff. 
but they just don't. And when you contrast that with Kotlin, Kotlin just gives you everything. So um, have you ever written any Ruby? A little bit. I mean, not a whole lot, though. Have, have you used the tap method, which I think is an active support part of Rails? No, I haven't. Okay, so imagine that you need to construct a, a, a value, and then you need to modify a little bit, and then you need to return it, right? Okay. So the normal I'm way you do it, yeah. So the normal way you do that is you like create a reference, set it equal to you know assign it to a new instance of the thing, modify the thing, and then write return the variable that you created, right? Yep. So what tap lets you do is tap basically takes a block and then returns the original value. So you could just write return construct the thing dot tap. And then modify the thing inside the block. Oh, cool. It's really, really handy. Um, I use something called then in Swift, which is like a little micro framework that lets you do basically the same thing. Um, it's even better in Swift because it lets you do it in line when you are defining a, a, an instance variable. Um, if you can kind of imagine that. Mm-hmm. So that's super, super useful. But you have to add that to Swift yourself. Yeah. Whereas in Kotlin, it's just there, ready to be used. So they ha- and they have a couple of different forms of it. So they so, have go ahead. So it's more of like a um, like batteries included kind of exactly. philosophy. Yeah. Okay. So for example, if you there's one function called also. So you any type in the system, you can type like whatever whatever dot also, and you give it a block, and then you can modify the thing in the block, and the block returns void, and then it just returns the original value. Or there's another one called dot let which basically will let you map a single value, if you can imagine that. Okay, yeah. Uh, and then if you call dot .let on a optional, it'll actually unwrap it on the inside, and it behaves somewhat like map, optional.map. Okay. And so you so in the same way, we have if let in Swift, they just have dot .let. Hmm. And okay. So that stuff is just really, really nice to use. And so, like, um, they don't really, like I mentioned, they don't really have good um, patterns for communication between objects. So I just started using the delegate pattern. Um, I talked to some Android people, and they were like, it's it's fine. You can do that if you want. Yeah. Um, and so what I end up doing is, like, when I'm switching for my tabs, I'll create a new fragment, and then I'll write dot also, and then I'll set the delegate to self, essentially. That and, is really nice, yeah. Yeah, and because also returns the value and it'll intuit the return you don't even have to write the return that's nice yeah so you just write gallery fragment dot also it dot delegate equals this it is their version of dollar sign zero okay cool yeah it's super super nice and it's just like swift just won't give you that stuff uh speaking of the like delegate pattern um and and memory management do you do, do you have weak references built into kotlin or and or java somehow no, you don't need them. Um, it's just ah. uh, since it's because um, it's garbage, garbage collected. collection, right? Like right. when that becomes its own retain cycle, disconnected from the root of the app, it'll just mm-hmm. sweep it away. How has how is so Kotlin is also garbage collected, right? Yes. How has working with a garbage collected language been? Have you run into any uh, like any any problems or challenges, or has it been pretty transparent for you? Totally chill. Totally chill. Um, I have not had any problems. I haven't really noticed any garbage collection happening, like slowing down my app. Although, to be fair, I haven't been looking that hard. Um, it just kind of works. It's nice. Cool. Yeah, no that's, complaints. That's great. Yeah. I bet there's some gotchas. Like, if you weren't used to it, like, automatic reference counting could bite you. And you just wouldn't know because you would, like, cause a retain cycle and you would just never yeah. see it. 
But as far as I can tell, it seems very, very chill. Cool. I'm into it. Um, yeah. Another thing I was wondering while you were talking about like all these uh, sort of nice features in Kotlin was how how did you learn Kotlin? Like what reference materials did you find helpful? I'd like to throw some of those in the show notes. Um, that is a good question. For the most part, I just Googled what I needed to know how to do stuff. Okay. Is basically it. I, I've seen, I kind of, I kind of try to keep abreast of, of things that are happening. So I've read like Kotlin intro tutorials, like how's Kotlin different from Swift, that kind of thing before. So I had, I knew what I was getting into. Okay. Um, there's a cool talk by Brandon Williams and Lisa Lozer, I think is how you pronounce her last name. And it's called anything you can do, I can do better. And it's about comparing, um, Swift to Kotlin and saying like, you know, anything Swift can do, Kotlin can do better. Um, (laughs) and it's a cool talk. I'll put it in the show notes and that gave me a good picture of like, okay, how, how do these things, um, compare? Cool. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. It's Lisa Lowe, L-U-O. Her username, her like Twitter username is loser or loser. I think it's kind of like a self-deprecating joke. Yeah, well, definitely. Uh, that, that we'll put that in the show notes, and uh, I'm interested to watch this myself. I'll do that uh, yeah. later tonight after we record. And then, um, yeah, a lot of like sample code on the internet, and then when they use stuff like let and also, I would like commands click on it, and that'll jump you to the definition of it in oh, yeah. um, in in like the Kotlin standard library, and then you can like, kind of examine it there. Nice. Um, another cool weird thing that I'm reminded of is if you have a single a function that's a single line, you don't need braces. Okay, cool. Yeah, so like Haskell also has this. Um, but basically, if you like want to write a function that you can express in a single line, you just put an equal sign and then write the expression, and that like turns it into a function and everything. Huh. And um, when, which is their switch statement, and if are expressions, not just statements. So if can evaluate to something and return something. Oh, nice. Yeah, that is really, really cool. cool. So you can write like return... If this case do this, if that case return that, but like you only need one return outside of the if, mm-hmm. it's great. And then you can do the same thing with switch statements. It's great. It's I'm into it. That is really nice. Yeah, that's something that I wish um, other languages uh, that I use could do. Yeah, they've said why Swift doesn't do that, but I forget the exact reason. Yeah, I know that. I, I mean, I know there's been discussion about that, but I don't. I, I can't remember anything specific offhand. If yeah. you have, uh, if you the listener have any um, any insights or, or uh, can can remember any links about that, please let us know because uh, I, I should know that. Yeah, um, Ruby I think is a language where if statements and switches are expressions, which is nice. But I don't okay. think Python is. I don't think so offhand. Although I'm not a Python expert yet, so you'll get there. Yeah, someday. Switching, if you're ready to switch gears from Kotlin, I do have a couple other things that I wanted to ask about before we wrap up here. Uh, Yeah, go for it. View layout on Android is something that I'm I'm really curious to hear you talk about and compare to auto layout on iOS. View layout is awesome. Um, Yeah, isn't it? So (laughs) That's totally a leading question. Yeah, there's a couple things here. So every uh, view can have an associated... Um, XML file, right? And they call those layouts. Uh, it's mm-hmm. a couple cool things. So one is when you define that X, first of all, you edit that XML file by hand. And so you don't really have to worry about merge conflicts and stuff because you know exactly what you're editing. There's what, also a visual a editor. Yeah, right? Like, let me <laughs> touch the code. There's also a visual editor, which you can use, but it's kind of like a 
maybe it's nice to use that, but like really the core representation is this text XML file, which is great. Then um, when you define that XML file, the root value of the XML file, you get to decide what kind of layout it is. So you can choose a constraint layout, which functions a lot like auto layout, or you can choose a relative layout, which like kind of lets you put position things relative to other things. Or you can do an absolute layout, which works more like iOS is like frame-based layout. Mm-hmm. Or you can do a linear layout, which behaves a lot like a stack view. And so yeah. each time you create a view, you kind of get this chance to decide what is the best form of layout for this. And it's it's very much not a prescriptive, like, just use auto layout for everything, which I feel like our community like falls into the trap of sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so you get to like, you have this explicit decision that you have to make at the very beginning. And it's so cool. Well, not that you have to make, that you get to make, right? Like, right. we, everyone was really excited when, uh, was it iOS 9 that introduced stack views? Something like that, right? Mm, it was, it was earlier than that, but yeah. iOS 8, um, something. Uh, but yeah, like, uh, and it, it's really great. And you can, like, nest stack views to create these really, like, um, to create more complex layouts, even though it's kind of slow because it's auto layout, but, like, you can actually do that. Like, yeah. people have been doing that on Android since, like, 2010. Yeah, exactly. Also, in my face, uh, it was iOS 9. You were totally right. Ha, yes. So you may be writing Python, but I still remember some iOS trivia. (laughs) (laughs) All the good stuff. Yeah, so so that part of it's really dope. I'm really into that. And then, um, so the other cool part of it is you get to decide when you're, what they call, they call it inflating a view. When you're inflating a view, you get to decide which layout you're going to use so ios there's a tight one-to-one coupling between the class and the xml file that's associated with it if you choose to use zips right yeah not so with android with android you get to choose which layout you want so if let's say you can a you can a b test the user in code and then inflate a different layout for them in different cases Whoa. it's a little bit more boilerplate than the ios way but you get to choose which layout you want for a thing, which is awesome. So you can attach like totally different UI layouts to the same underlying view code. Yes, to the same class. That is, that's pretty cool. I don't know if, I, I don't think I knew that was possible. Yeah, it really, it really rules. So that's cool. And that also gives you the ability to, since it's no longer one-to-one, you could take, not only can you have one class that can be backed by multiple layouts, you can also have multiple classes that are backed by one layout, also deduplicating code. Yeah, the, yeah. That that I know, and that is really, really useful. Yeah. And then the last thing with the layouts I want to touch on, which is awesome, is, again, in this world of, like, Kotlin just gives its users cool stuff. In Swift, let's say you're writing Swift, you have an instance variable, and that instance variable is not going to be set up at init time. What are your options? Uh, your options are um, make it an optional, make it lazy, which requires it... Um, well, you can't you, make it let. Yeah, yeah. so you can't make it let. Um, you can't make it lazy because it's not going to have a value. Um, lazy only works if you, like, know what it's going to be, but oh, you just yeah. don't instantiate it yet. So you can make it an sure. optional yes, and there's one other option. Um, uh, you're you're going to have to... Uh... So it, basically also the same thing, implicitly unwrapped optional. Oh, yeah. Use that, use that sweet, sweet exclamation point. And that really is, like, implicitly unwrapped optionals are kind of, at least as I recall, the Swift team's recommended approach for this. Like, if it's something that you know is going to be initialized after, like, right after the, the class is initialized, but just 
isn't um, initialized in the class's initializer for some reason, like then the, I, I think the, the standard answer is like it's okay to use an implicitly unwrapped optional in that case. That's right. That's what it's for. And so for a great example of this is IB outlets. They're not set up mm-hmm. until like awake from nib or something. And so you just got to use implicitly unwrapped optionals. Yeah. And implicitly unwrapped optionals make me feel real gross. I don't know why. They just make me feel real gross. I try yeah. to never use them. I, I do I, I do too. I, I had kind of been coming around to the idea that first things like IB outlets where like really at, at no point in the class's life cycle, like I, I don't know. Like for things like that, I was starting to come around to it, if only because that's that's how they how they say that you should write Swift. But um, I, I've never really liked it. Yeah, me neither. But so the way that Kotlin does this, which I actually do not have a problem with at all, is they have a keyword called late init, and so you just say like late init var, and then you know the name of the property and then the type of the property, and it behaves exactly like an implicitly unwrapped optional, um, which they also do have that. Um, but it, it just like semantically, it tells you, Hey, that this is what this thing means. And if you try to access it, it'll throw a specific semantic exception. So that's what I was going to ask is how this actually differs in behavior from an implicitly unwrapped optional. Yeah. So basically two things. One is you don't have this implicitly unwrapped optional in your code, uh, which I like specifically for the reason of like, if you have that capability, this like late in capability, you can just say implicitly unwrapped optionals are not allowed ever don't do them okay, and i think but, that's a much easier rule to follow they're like well it's okay in this case in this case but not in this other case so like you you could make a rule in your on your team that says late in it is okay but implicitly unwrapped optionals in general not okay exactly exactly all right, all right then, i'll allow it yeah and then you and then it gives you a specific exception as well it says like hey you try to access this variable with this name on this class like and it gives you all the metadata you need instead that of that is nice yeah, it's really cool. And like if we had property behaviors, like I guess we could like build this ourselves, but we don't. We're going to get that someday, right? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Joe Groff, hit me up on Twitter. Um, <laughs> Joe Groff replied to one of my to a joke on Twitter today. I was very happy. Both your joke and his joke were very funny. He His joke was very good, yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> so yeah, so latent is really cool. And then I get to use latent without feeling guilty that like, oh, I haven't set this up in a new time and I have to use an exclamation point. Yeah. Also, exclamation point overloading, not into it because of the not operator and the, <laughs> and the implicitly unwrapped operation, implicit unwrapping operation. Right. Yeah. So in general, Android's cool. There's things that I would change about it if I could, but there's also things that I would steal for iOS worlds. The tooling in particular, I didn't really get it to go into too much detail, but like the tooling is so good. Renaming stuff is really good. Like you can rename a layout and it will rename where that is used in the code. This is something that I wanted to, that I I had meant to touch on and I kind of hinted at, but with the the JetBrains shout out, but like they, they really do have a reputation, a well-earned reputation for putting together very good development tools. Yeah. Um, I, I don't love the app itself. It's very obvious that it's a Java app and there's a lot of really non-standard like yeah. keyboard controls, but like, so like as, so, so to show my, my hand here, uh, this week I've started playing with, or I guess last week I've started playing with, um, with IntelliJ idea with the Python and go plugins for, for the development that I'm doing. And right. so it definitely is clearly not a Cocoa app. It doesn't feel extremely like a Java app either. Like it's it's it it fits the platform kind of well. 
Um, you definitely, uh, I, I've rebound a couple keys to things that are more familiar, particularly in the like text editor. And there's some tweaks that you need to make, but like even with, with Python, they're, they're doing things in Python that I didn't think were possible with a language that like, wasn't like compiled and what, like, you don't know where you don't have, uh, even type annotations to do static analysis. Like it's really good. Like letting you refactor stuff. Uh, I don't know if you can refactor Python. I wouldn't. I, I think you can at least do some. <laughs> but you I, can I like think, extract a method or rename a class. Yeah, definitely. There. Yeah, yeah, I know there are definitely renaming operations you can do, and I think there are some other refactorings that that you can do. But I yeah. mean, even just jumping around to like definitions, um, searching for uh, like finding where things are declared and where things are used, um, just stuff like that that you just don't get in a text editor. And it's it's really impressive. I mean, after using it for, I mean, you know, several hours, it's it's impressive. So you could get this stuff for iOS. I mean, they have app code. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely true. I I if I if I go back to iOS now, I'll be more tempted to try app code. But my feeling there was always that like Xcode is the sort of the first class citizen there, and um, there there are always going to be things that you can do in Xcode that I can't do elsewhere, and. I, especially with the newer refactoring tools in Xcode 9, I had kind of thought that like, eh, it's not really worth trying this other, this like uh, other weird ID. It seems like it's always going to be second class, especially in things like Swift support. But I mean, honestly, I, I, uh, maybe I should have given it a fair shake and, and I definitely will next time I'm, um, doing some, some iOS work. Yeah. I, I, I've tried to give it a fair shake and I can't get into it. Yeah. But, um, well, maybe yeah. you're getting used to the tooling now with with Android Studio, and and I am with, with uh, the the Python plugin. So maybe uh, you know maybe yeah, we'll come back maybe. to that. We'll revisit this in six months. Yeah, maybe we should. Maybe we should. Yeah, it's just that the non-nativeness really gets to me. Like you mentioned, the text editing stuff. Uh, like all the text your, editing man, horrible. Key, shortcuts are, are non-standard. Uh, yeah. Command backspace like kills the line instead of just back, like deleting to the beginning of the line. Yeah, and it puts the cursor on the same place in the line before. Yeah. So the thing is, uh, all this stuff is like, you can customize all these key bindings. I haven't put a lot of effort into this yet because I want to try to like, try, try to learn to use it when in its, um, you know, more or less natural state. But like, uh, I, I've rebound a couple of the text navigation keyboard shortcuts already. And, um, I mean, you, you can do that and then fix things as they annoy you and it's, it works yeah. out. I, I should do more of that, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it's I think a, it's a good it's a good environment to work in. Yeah, I, it definitely is. Um, yeah, I just I've been very impressed with the the stuff the Python Go stuff that I've tried so far. Yeah, uh, I think yeah. we're running a little long. Uh, do you want to wrap up here? Sure, sure, sure. sure. Um, yeah, so that's my feeling on android uh the state of android in 2017 i haven't really written much android in 2018 yet i was gonna um, say it's <laughs> been two weeks uh been but two yeah weeks until still writing 2017 on my podcast <laughs> uh i am i'm glad to have learned a lot about android i'm glad that i could make an android app now if i need to clients get at me i can make your android app <laughs> uh i could do the full service i could do the top to bottom it's an interesting world ios has a lot to learn from it um, it is fragmented, but that's the price you pay for some of the crazy cool stuff you can do. So, oh, on the topic of fragmentation, I was going to ask if you had had uh, any experience with the compatibility library. Oh yeah, we didn't even talk about that. Yeah, the compatibility stuff is its own thing. 
Oh man, um, it's Can you give weird. Me a quick thumbs up, thumbs down here. Mostly thumbs up, um, but like sometimes, like okay, imagine you have a fragment, and then that fragment touch like owns some object, and then that object owns some object. Mm-hmm. If you import the regular fragment, then you'll get the regular sub object and the regular sub object. But if you import the compatibility one, you'll get the compatibility ones. And then the types of them, like let's say the third level down in that tree, are not the same. The types are different. Um, They're a different types. So you write a, a function saying, like, oh, I accept a fragment. but And then your ID imports fragment automatically, but it imports the wrong one. And then you try to pass it to a function and it gives you some meaningless error. Oh. Yeah. So there can be weird stuff like that. But for the most part, like it works and like I get to use stuff that I wouldn't get to use otherwise on old phones. And that is very cool. That is really cool. And I mean, this is a way that Android has paid, uh, has put some effort into backward compatibility, even backporting like user interface features and things like that in yeah. a way that like you just don't get on iOS, period. Yeah. I could also, I could talk about this for hours. There's also a bunch of really cool, interesting concurrency stuff. Java.util.concurrent. Oh, you know, maybe it's called is interesting as well. Let's let's. I mean, we've been talking for almost an hour here. Let's do another episode soon. Yeah, we can do another. We'll cover uh, your. We'll cover Java Util Concurrent. We'll uh, maybe dive into more detail on stuff like uh, I don't know the compatibility library and what what we could learn we from that. For iOS. We could talk about all of the other different types of XML files in the system. Yeah, a lot there's of a lot XML. to talk about. It's yeah. cool. It's there's a lot of stuff that iOS the iOS ecosystem should just steal straight yeah. up should just steal it yeah i, yeah. I totally believe that yeah so android right. it's a thing it is a thing <laughs> all right let's let's wrap up it's great to talk to you as always yep talk to you later chris bye